Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Washington, D.C., a hotbed of terrorism. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carroll, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist, helping you reach your dreams in a time of terror. Well, I know you're wondering what? DC, a hotbed of terrorism? Well, yes, I'm gonna be talking to you today about three stories that all have a Washington DC connection. And those are, first of all, a story of a man, uh, Saitu Kokei, who it was recently convicted of grooming a 15-year-old girl to get into porn and terrorism. Huh, yes, very interesting story. You know, what's also interesting is I love to point out many of these stories you are not going to see um, broadcast in... Um, broadcast in large numbers or in a very um, in a very uh, strong way across other media. I mean, it is amazing. And, and now there's such a consistent pattern of how so many of these stories that have, um, well, that are about terrorism and, um, and particularly about terrorism as it relates to terrorist convictions in the U.S. and no, no less other countries. So, yes, this is um, the story of a man who is now a teacher who is now combining porn and Islam. <laughs> Very interesting story. My second story is about a man named Rondell Henry who was just um, captured right on the verge, just moments before he perpetrated an attack in Maryland near Washington, D.C., and there are other Washington, D.C. connections. Third story, Ilhan Omar. This woman, oh God, we have got to get rid of this woman. She needs to be off the Foreign Relations Committee, and she certainly needs to be off her position in Congress. She is a representative from Minnesota, a Democrat, but wouldn't matter. Well, I mean, it does matter in the sense that other Democrats aren't doing anything about it. But um, the things that she has been doing, and I've talked about this, uh, there is a show, previous show, devoted to her. But, you know, she keeps on doing crazy, horrible, anti-Israel, anti-Semitic, uh, and anti-American talks. Uh, things come out of her mouth that are just unbelievable. And so I'm going to be talking to you today about her latest uh, that is, if she hasn't said something since <laughs> since you are, before you hear this and since I've recorded it, um, something else outrageous. But she's talking about 9-11, minimizing it as if it's something that somebody did or some people did, she said. so And this is now the cover of the New York Post, and that's why I'm bringing it up today. But let's go back to story number one, which is about Site 2 Kokei, he is 29 years old, 
He's a Maryland computer developer and he and a teacher and he has been sharing extremist propaganda, um, Islamic ISIS propaganda, with a 15-year-old at a DC Islamic organization while also um, engaging uh, in sexual conversations with at least one of these students, sharing the ISIS propaganda with several students and um, engaging in sexual conversations and videoing, um, uh, communicating by um, internet with uh, at least one student, 15 years old. Now, he is described as a uh, DC native and he is um, now in January. Actually, this came, now this is the thing. This came, there's an article about it that came out in January that um, I have never heard of until just now, and and it's in the news again now because he was just convicted of sending pornographic images to this 15 years old 15 year old girl and trying to coerce her to send him pornographic images of herself. So. Um, he, um, in, in January, he was charged only with conversion and enticement of a minor after exchanging sexual messages with her. But while this was happening, the prosecutors brought out his interest in Islamic extremism and in order to argue that he should remain incarcerated until his April trial, which is now what we're talking about, his April trial. And so the judge, Judge Leonie Brickma um, decided that she would uh, keep him in jail because of his radical interests, because of his connections to Islam and his trying to promote um, that to his students. Now, interestingly, this story is really interesting. He is a married father. I mean, not that that's a big shock that married men and fathers um, try to solicit young girls into sexual activities, but um, I guess what makes it a little more surprising is that, of course, in the Islamic religion, he's not supposed to be doing any of this, really. <laughs> well, he's supposed to be, yes, he is supposed to be proselytizing um, for ISIS, but not the rest. And he had worked as an IT content developer for the University of Maryland College, um, and he, on the weekends, he taught the Quran. And this was to children 15, I'm sorry, 5 to 16. And it was at the first Hijra Foundation in D.C. And now you will be happy to know that he no longer has either job. Actually, that was in January that when they put him in jail. They stripped him, or he was stripped, of these two jobs. Now, um, he told the FBI, again, this is still in January, he told the FBI that he expressed romantic feelings to this 15-year-old girl and began having sexual conversations with her over iPhone and FaceTime. Um, <laughs> he says, it was a humongous mistake, a bad choice. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Um, he also is accused of sending pornographic video to her, but he, unfortunately for him, well, actually, probably fortunately, or he would be accused of more charges, but anyhow, she did not send him any in return. Um, then also prosecutors showed at that time in January that he has been sharing 
uh, extremist Islamic propaganda with the 15-year-old and other underage girls um, in his lectures on the weekends. And um, he particularly, he has been sharing uh, lectures by the Al-Qaeda recruiter, the famous Al-Qaeda recruiter, Anwar al-Awlaki. Uh, and he talked about religious martyrdom with one underage girl. He sent her a video called The Role of Muslim Women, which shows female militants with automatic weapons. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that um, and his connection to it. And then there was another teacher, you know, as all of this started coming out, people started telling on him. Uh, another teacher told the FBI that he expressed interest in joining Islamic fighters overseas. And then this, a student told the FBI that he took students to play paintball in Virginia now, and incited that the student was a girl and insisted that she join in the paintball. Uh, because he told her it could be important someday that she learn to fight. Now, fortunately, the judge in this case in January um, had happened to have overseen a case involving men who trained for jihad by playing paintball in Virginia, just like he was taking the students to do. So she recognized that there could well be this ISIS connection. Um, now, his, the mother of this man, of this 28-year-old cocaine, um, is married to Abdullah El Faisal. And he is El Faisal. It's, you know, there are always these different pronunciations of these um, words, of these names. So she, so in other words, the mother of the man who is charged for all this propaganda and uh, porn, propaganda and porn, um, the two Ps, he, she is uh, married to this man who's a Jamaican extremist and he is facing terrorism charges in New York. Now, the defense of Kakei said that the mother and Abdullah El Faisal um, are divorcing and they haven't spoken to each other in a year. But the mother has um, sent uh, Faisal's lectures to students as well. So, um, now interestingly, especially with the, what's just happened um, with the WikiLeaks founder, Julian Assange, the way that that all apparently happened uh, is that the, the a prosecutor in this cocaine case did a copy and paste mistake when he was filing these, um, the motions and so on, filing things with the court in regard to cocaine, and somehow he cut and pasted something that had to do with the WikiLeaks founder, Julian Assange, that revealed some things about him that um, contributed to his now being arrested. Um, you know, there was something that was say, saying that he had been charged under seal. Now, his, his case is not otherwise, uh, Assange's case is not otherwise connected to cocaine, but it's kind of ironic that, um, that his, he was discovered in a sense, or some information about him was discovered because of the, um, these, this information about uh, Assange. Now, again, however, this was back in January. I'm going to now, we're, we're going to um, need to take a break.
But when we come back, I'll tell you more about Kokei and his porn and what he did with this young girl and, um, and tell you about the rest of the stories that are related to DC, the hotbed of terrorism. So stay tuned. You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Now back to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Welcome back to today's show where I'm talking about D.C., a hotbed of terrorism, with three stories all relating to Washington, D.C. I started telling you the first story, which was about a man named Saitu Kokei, 29 years old, um, a man who is a, a professor at a university by day or by weekday, and um, by weekend, he was a teacher in an Islamic organization in Washington, D.C. And not only uh, I'd call those sessions porn and propaganda, uh, not only was he teaching young girls um, about ISIS propaganda and terrorist propaganda, but he was also putting the moves on um, at least one of the girls and um, that is why he is in the news. And in the previous uh, segment, I was telling you about things that came out about him in January. Now I'm talking about what is just came out in, uh, in April. And um, it's, you know, I, I, what's fascinating about this is that the way that he was able to, the way that um, federal law enforcement officials were able to get all the information about his his porn, the porn part of this story, is that because he was uh, pro because prosecutors had previously produced evidence that he was sharing this terrorist propaganda with this girl and other students on the weekends, they were able to wiretap him, and. Um, that is what then revealed more uh, about his sexual relationship with, um, well, I don't want to make it too, I mean, we don't know that he actually had a literally a sexual, I mean, a physical sexual relationship with this girl. It was a sexual relationship in a sense, and because he was convicted just now in April about sending pornographic images to this 15-year-old girl and trying to get her to respond, which apparently so far she hadn't done. Um, so he was teaching her at this Islamic school in DC since she was six or seven. But the reason why um, more has come out is because in August, um, she, when she was visiting her family in Minnesota and they had this wiretap, uh, he, she was, he was able to, they were able to get uh, the sexual conversations and the video chats that he was having with her. So there was more evidence, in other words, um, to come to court with and to help him get convicted just now. Um, he, the prosecutor calls him a wolf in sheep's clothing because he was a trusted teacher who used that relationship to pressure the girl to engage in sexual activity. 
He asked her to show him parts of her body, and she asked him to marry her. Well, at least he at least he asked him to asked her to marry him. It wasn't just uh, he had good intentions. Yes, I am being facetious. Um, and then his defense attorney was saying that although the relationship was inappropriate and wrong, it wasn't illegal, which apparently the judge disagreed with since he was convicted of this. Uh, he's saying his defense attorney said there's no evidence he asked her to show anything that would rise to the level of child pornography. I don't know where he got the, that defense attorney, but obviously the judge decided that that was wrong. Now, there's another ch uh, charge that the judge said she's going to rule on later. And that is whether Kokei tried to persuade her to have sex with him. Now, you know, I mean, if there is no, maybe there's no evidence that they have found on that yet, but surely he was not just looking to share pictures. I mean, that was what he was ultimately going for to actually have sex, especially he wanted to marry her. So, you know, um, or so he said, and that was probably another way of uh, just getting her to have sex with him. Now, interestingly, um, there's a connection to a YouTube channel that urges UK and Western girls to become jihadi brides. Um, they, and it has had 6 million views. Um, and even though the FBI had warned YouTube, and it has been on YouTube for more than eight years. I mean, this is like unbelievable um, that there is this, this um, channel, YouTube channel, that has been hanging out for eight years, uh, presumably available to anybody, um, at least the six million people who has, have seen it so far. And they not only, they have, um, it's the who's who of hate preachers, um, you know, trying to, use propaganda to get, get the girls to become jihadi brides. And, um, and, and they have um, people, it's the who's who of the preachers. In other words, famous Islamic preachers are on this channel trying to convince girls to become uh, jihadi brides and, and also to take up arms in defense of Islam. There are young women and children in these videos showing weapons, including guns and rocket launchers. And of course, this goes along with this teacher who I was talking about, uh, Kokei, having wanted to take his, and having taken apparently, um, his students to play paintball as, an, as a way of practicing to shoot. So now in one of these videos, the narrator is um, Sheikh Abdullah El Faisal, and who is the one I was talking about in, in the previous segment, the uh, Jamaican-born imam who radicalized a series of terrorists at Brixton in the UK, the Brixton Mosque in the UK. And as you may remember, as I was saying before, he is the one whose stepson is, say, to cocaine. So the apple does not fall far from the tree. Now, to get to my second story about the DC hotbed, <laughs> This is a story perhaps you heard of. Um, this also happened just recently. A man named Rondell Henry, who is 28, and who um, was planning an attack uh, on a pedestrian attack, a truck ramming attack. 
at the National Harbor. Um, he, uh, he, his plan was to copy the Nice-France style attack that was in 2016. That was an attack, remember that uh, attack where the man killed 86 people on the boardwalk in Nice and um, injured scores more. And, um, you know, that, of course, got tons of play at the time. And there have been several terrorists who have copied, wanted to copy, and did copy the Nice terrorist. Well, this man um, has been, his charges so far are stealing a rental truck. And he wanted to use a rental truck to kill these pedestrians at the National Harbor in Maryland, which is near Washington, D.C. And he was arrested on March 28th. Um, when he was found um, with his truck. Now, his story is that he um, he worked at a, he left his job. Um, he stole his, well, let me, let me tell you, he stole the truck from Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, he wanted to run over as many non-Muslims, of course, you know, I mean, I guess he, he just figured that in this, uh, at this, in the National Harbor, there would most likely, it would most likely be people who were, um, you know, not, not believing in Islam um, or the, or Islamic terrorist um, kinds of beliefs. Uh, and he, so he's a, a charged of um, transporting a stolen vehicle across state lines because that is really just a way to hold him until they continue to uh, levy all these terrorism charges against him. Now, um, he, he left his job. Let me just find this. He left his job in the middle of the day and he, you know, he, oh, well, he had been studying jihadist videos for two years and planning, um, well, obviously he didn't plan this particular attack very well, but uh, planning on, on perpetrating an attack, more, that plan was coming more into fruition in his mind over two years when he was watching videos, ISIS videos, where people were beheaded and so on. And he was deciding that he wanted to do this. Now, I should say that when this man um, left his job, the family reported him to the authorities because they were worried about him, because um, they were worried that he would, that he would, well, they were worried that he had mental problems. Um, you know, this is being reported in the media rather euphemistically, but that was the gist. And yes, it does seem as though um, he does have mental problems. Although, again, this has not been detailed in the media yet. His, this whole situation of catching him hasn't been detailed very much in the media yet. Um, but, but, you know, I have talked about um, in previous shows about how people who are mentally ill are more vulnerable to terrorist propaganda for a number of reasons. I'm not going to go into that again today because I want to tell you the story of this man. But when we come back, I will tell you more of his story and um, why I think he probably does have mental problems. And uh, we will continue with this DC hotbed of terrorism when we come back. 
You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Now back to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Welcome back to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm talking to you today about three stories that relate to D.C., which I'm calling for the day, a hotbed of terrorism. Uh, so I was in the midst of telling you about Rondell Henry, who um, was caught in the nick of time. And uh, before he perpetrated an attack, ramming, using a truck to ram pedestrians on um uh, in Maryland on na at National Harbor. Now, um, you know, this is an example of attacks that are happening more and more because you don't need to know about guns or explosives. Uh, you just don't have, need to know how to drive. And so this actually happened um, in March and um, it is really only coming into the news today because he was finally uh, indicted. But at the end of March, uh, he walked out of his job in Maryland. He was a computer engineer. And he um, decided, you know, after his two years of uh, studying, following the Islamic State on the internet, and he wanted to harm disbelievers, is what he said. He wanted to harm people who didn't follow Islam. And um, so he walked out of his job, left his job, which is, you know, I said I was going to give you some reasons for why I thought that he does have mental illness in addition to his family seeming to be worried about his mental state. Um, you know, he abruptly walked out of his job. And so he didn't make this, he, he didn't really plan things very carefully. It was like a very impulsive thing that he did. And he followed a U-Haul van on the highway because he realized that his car wasn't going to be big enough to run down as many people as he wanted to. And so he saw a U-Haul, he followed the U-Haul, uh, he was driving through the Washington suburbs looking for places where he could run down crowds of people. But, but the thing, he, he followed the U-Haul then. And the driver of the U-Haul, this was the key, the driver of the U-Haul uh, realized that a man was following him and the U-Haul parked and um, the man, this um, Rondell Henry, uh, followed him and parked uh, nearby. And um, so when the when the U-Haul was then, when the driver of the U-Haul then saw that his U-Haul was missing and he remembered that some man was following him, he reported it and he, and they looked in the car that the U-Haul driver knew had been following him and they found it, that it was registered to Rondell Henry. And then um, they put a, they put a, a, a bulletin out for the U-Haul and lo and behold, they found um, the U-Haul in National Harbor. And, but there was nobody in the U-Haul, nobody driving it at the time. And that's because Rondell Henry, first he was, after he stole the U-Haul, he drove it through the Washington suburbs looking for places where there were tons of people that he could run down, you know, all in one place. Didn't seem to work. He actually went to Dulles Airport or tried to get into Dulles Airport and he couldn't. 
And um, so eventually he spot, he's parked at this tourist spot on the Potomac River called the National Harbor. And it's a place where there are restaurants and stores and tourists. And, but he, when he got there, there weren't a lot of people. So he decided to go to sleep in a boat nearby and to wait until the next morning. Now, when he was, so then he, in the morning, and, and of course, by that time, the authorities were at the U-Haul just waiting for the man to come to back to the U-Haul. And so he got out of the boat, climbed over a security fence, and lo and behold, there were all the authorities waiting for him at his U-Haul. And um, so the jig was up, although he did kind of say more than he had to, which is another reason why I think he was probably mentally ill. Perhaps he did it because he wanted to be known as a martyr. He wanted to people, people to know him. He didn't care about whether he was going to be uh, convicted at that point, perhaps. And he told, uh, because he told the um, FBI and the authorities, the people who were waiting for him, uh, that all about, you know, what he was doing. He said that he had followed the Islamic State on the internet for two years. Uh, he wanted to harm disbelievers. I was just going to keep driving and driving and driving, he told them. I wasn't going to stop. Uh, he planned on dying in the attack. And... Um, you know, this is, so this is the kind of terrorist that is the hardest to find. This is the kind of terrorist attack that's the hardest to stop because these are people who um, don't generally draw attention to themselves. Um, and it, they have found that over the, uh, since 20, well, over the past four decades, they did a study of car ramming attacks over the past four decades. And there have been 80 of them. But the majority of them have happened in these recent years. So 30 of the 80 happened in 2017 and in the first four months of 2018. That's as far as the, stu as the study went. And clearly, um, this is increasing. Now, this is in the study uh, looked at 19 countries, including the U.S., Canada, Australia, China, Japan, and Western Europe. So it is increasing and you can see how easily, I mean, here he leaves his job in the middle of the day and gets a U-Haul, <laughs> steals a U-Haul, and um, fortunately was caught in the last minute. So um, he, again, he was caught just at the last minute and now the latest news is that he was uh, indicted. A grand jury returned an indictment against this man uh, accused in the National Harbor terror plot. Now, but again, as I was saying before, he is only so far charged with interstate transportation of a stolen vehicle, uh, which could give him a maximum of, of 10 years, where, of course, we know that he will be radicalized more and he will radicalize others. All right, enough of Randall Henry. Now let's go to Ilhan Omar. I am, I am on a tear for Ilhan Omar until she gets booted out of Congress and perhaps first booted out of the Foreign Relations Committee. And it is, it is a travesty that um, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats in the House in general have not insisted that she be taken off the Foreign Affairs Committee, at least for starters, because she just keeps saying one horrendous anti-American thing, anti-Semitic thing, anti-Israel thing after another. 
but this so far this takes the cake so far and it has just been um fortunately the new york post has uh put on its cover um something that um that you know has sp spoken out in a very dramatic way against ilhan omar the cover says um Rep. Ilhan Omar, 9-11 was, quote, some people did something, unquote. Here's your something, 2,977 people dead by terrorism. Now, this comes, it's a picture of the second American Airlines jet crashing into the second World Trade Center tower. And um, it, it, it's, you know, the whole cover, it's very dramatic. And um, it talks about how she outraged the families of 9-11 victims by referring dismissively to the 9-11 terror attack. Now this came about when she um, talked um, to a Muslim advocacy lobbying group, the Council on American Islamic Relations, CARE, which some believe, and um, you know, as much as they wanna pretend that they're not terrorists, there really have been enough information to show that they essentially are. Um, it was, and she said at this meeting where she was the speaker, it was a fundraiser where she was a speaker and it was in Los Angeles. I wish I would have known about this when it was happening. It actually uh, happened a little while ago and it just has come into, uh, into the news more. But um, she, and she, she even gave wrong information about it to the people that she was talking to in her speech. She said, um, CARE was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. Now, it actually turned out that um, CARE was founded before 9-11. Um, she, she, when she was talking to this group, she described the 9-11 attack as, quote, some people did something. Some people did something, not, not Muslims, not as radical Islamists. Um, some people, you know, there were some people who just did a little something. Um, I tweeted about this and said, um, Elon Omar just described 9-11 terror attacks as some people did something. What more does she have to do to get booted out of Congress? She's anti-Semitic, anti-Israel, anti-American, dangerous. And I started a, uh, a hashtag, which I am hoping will get more followers or more people to use the same hashtag, Stop Ilhan Omar. Um, now, um, you know, and there are people speaking out like a fire chief talking about how his son died in 9-11 and how outrageous it is that she um, has been talking like this. And, um, but she still hasn't apologized. She, um, she's, she went on television, in fact, uh, on Colbert, and she still hasn't apologized for it. And she's, um, she, in fact, she is blaming the people who have criticized her. She did a tweet saying, this is dangerous incitement given the death threats I face. I hope leaders of both parties will join me in condemning it. My love and commitment to our country and that of my colleagues should never be in question. We are all Americans. Really, lady? I mean, really, what more does she have to do? Um, 
Donald Trump Jr. tweeted, this woman is a disgrace. Never in my life would I imagine a member of Congress showing this much disdain for America and Americans. I also never thought I'd see Democrats and their media lackeys turn a blind eye to this and her anti-Semitism. The Dems have lost their way. You know, well, the only thing, bright um, light on the horizon is that at least in her state, there is beginning to be questions about her. Um, it is a disgrace that, as I said, that, uh, that, her, that, that the House is not taking a firm, and particularly the Democrats in the House, um, are not taking a firmer stance against her. And Nancy Pelosi is just afraid. You know, she's such a coward. She, you know, she talks big and all that, but um, she's basically a coward because she's afraid that Ilhan Omar and the other women who are in this um, group, like there are two other women who are siding with, two other congresswomen who are siding with Ilhan Omar. And, um, and so Nancy Pelosi is afraid they, that they are gathering or could, could gather a lot of power and get her out, get her out, Nancy Pelosi out. So she is totally a wimp, uh, has done nothing to um, speak out against Ilhan Omar, which basically makes her um, an anti-Semite, an anti-Israel, and uh, anti-American. So what is happening in her state, the bright spot, is that um, there are people there, there's an investigation that has been launched into Ilhan Omar spending money, taking money and spending money like, for example, $6,000 of campaign funds on a divorce attorney and personal travel. So um, if she, you know, if they rule against her um, for this, the $6,000 on her divorce attorney and travels to Estonia and Boston, and um, the Minnesota Campaign Finance Board was alerted to this. Uh, this was for when she was a state representative. This was before she got into Congress. They just, it's too bad they didn't do this sooner. But anyhow, um, she was a state representative between 2017 and 2019. And um, during this next month, they're gonna be ruling on whether she did in fact misspend money. Now, whether that's enough to get her booted from Congress, I don't know, but one can only hope. Um, her excuse, She denied these allegations, of course, and she is claiming that her payment to her her divorce attorney, Carla uh, Kegelberg, um, who represented her in the dissolution of her marriage, was payment for providing crisis management services during her run for the Minnesota State House. So I guess she's trying to say that this wasn't related to her divorce, it was related to crisis management. What crisis, I have no idea. But, um, but this was, you know, <laughs> whatever they can find to um, somehow use this to, I mean, if she just gets a fine, it's just another black mark against her. But, um, but perhaps there's some law that will, um, or this are enough people in Minnesota where she represents um, the district perhaps enough people will get angry and be able to recall her as their representative. One can only hope. Well, thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist.
If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.